0: Jonathan Tyler in the Northern Lights kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hallelujah! The name of that one. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here today. It's a pleasure, a treat, an honor to be talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors and all that implies with you fine folks today. So, thanks for spending a part of your week with me. I do appreciate it more than you know. We are uh, living in Crazy times, right, friends? Coronavirus. I mean, my kiddos are seven, five, and five, and they don't understand how in my entire life I've never seen anything like this. They're like, well, what happens next? I'm like, I don't know. Nobody knows. (laughs) Literally, nobody knows what's going on in the world, right? Uh, Other than my stocks look like crap. I imagine yours do as well. Uh, Gas prices. Haven't seen some of this stuff since I was in high school over 20 years ago. It's absolutely incredible. And uh, we are certainly practicing social distancing at the Smith House, which one good thing is we're eating in every night, just going through the freezer and picking out some random wild game for the evening. It's saving us a lot of money uh, because with the kids' sports and extracurricular activities, it seems like we we were eating out two or three nights a week, maybe more sometimes. Uh, and now it's wild game just about every night, <laughs> which is awesome. And uh, some part of me, well, while it's terrible that people are dying, and I certainly don't want my kids or myself or Aaron to get coronavirus, I do think that COVID-19 is, is bringing families back together in some weird way. I mean, we're literally going on a walk as a family with a dog every night. And we probably only did that once a week, if that, uh, prior to this social distancing phenomenon. So, I don't know, kind of trying to take the good with the bad here. But uh, certainly, I filled up my truck the other day, uh, like I mentioned, with those ridiculously low gas prices. And some of y'all are nasty still. I mean, people walking out of Seven Eleven without washing their hands and just diving right into that slice of pizza, opening up a drink, no hand sanitizer, nothing, pumping gas, not washing or sanitizing their hands. They're going to be getting that Corona, I'm telling you. Meanwhile, I'm over here uh, sanitizing my debit card. wonder how many times you can sanitize a debit card before it stops working. Uh, I'm going to find out. <laughs> uh, anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you today. And off the top, we will be joined in studio Uh, We taped this before the Corona, by the way. Uh, But Jeff Jackson dropped by the studio, good friend of mine, who recently had a 226-inch whitetail buck confiscated by Texas game wardens, and Jeff's not getting that deer back. But I wouldn't call Jeff a poacher. Uh, He made an honest mistake, but the law doesn't see that; it just sees black and white. So Jeff will be here. Hopefully, some of y'all can learn from his mistake and. We'll also get into the conundrum of paying restitution on a, an animal that the state of Texas never really had a vested interest in, nor could they benefit from. It's, uh, it's very odd, but we're going to get into that with Jeff. Then we'll talk some hog-dogging with uh, my buddy Josh Wiley, whom I've known since junior high, and Daniel Rosinski, whom I just met a couple weeks ago, of uh, high-caliber kennels. We had the pleasure of, of going on, two hog-dogging trips here recently, and um, one of them turned out to be the best day of hog-dogging I've ever experienced. We had some great dogs, and really the dogs are, are the stars of the show when it comes to that pastime and, and that sport. And so we're going to talk about some of those dogs today, uh, from bay dogs to catch dogs, including one dog named Dove that really saved Josh's behind, if you know what I mean. And uh, Josh will talk about that story as well so all things hog dogging coming up with josh and daniel here in just a little bit that's what's on the docket for today i'm certainly looking forward to it hope y'all are as well let's do uh let's do a quick giveaway i've got a box and i mean a box bigger than henry's looking at me right now but this box is bigger than henry and it's loaded with vortex nation texas t-shirts a limited edition you can't get them Anywhere else other than right here on the Lone Star Outdoors show. So if you'd like to have one or if you're one of our many listeners, probably half of you live outside of Texas these days, um, I've, I've just got a generic Vortex shirt that if you win, I'll send you that one. Uh, all you need to do is email the word, let's say bore. That's bore because we're going to be talking big boars today. Email "boar" to Lone Star. Outdoors show at gmail.com And you are entered into this week's Vortex Cashier. giveaway We're going to take a quick break When we come back, Make Jeff Jackson line. joins me in studio To talk about this monstrous buck That he's not ever getting back Right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show Search for a dime Only found a penny To scratch them off I never was good at winning British Columbia is world renowned for its beauty and wildlife, and Vancouver Island is revered as a magical place by hunters. Vancouver Island Coastal Bear Adventures specializes in taking mature trophy black bears with 18 inch minimum skulls in the six and a half to seven and a half year range. They also have Roosevelt elk tags and only take Boone and Crockett bulls each fall. 60% of their guiding area is located on private land. So whether you're looking for a Boone or Black Bear, once in a lifetime Roosevelt elk, or a giant cougar, They've got the hunt for you. Visit Vancouver Island to book your hunt today. That's Vancouver Island
1: Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffman for Hoffman's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Fares once again, the number one Polaris dealer in Texas.
0: In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at bobcatadvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit bobcatofdallas.com today.
2: Hey, this is Chris Knight, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show.
3: I was praying.
0: my favorite stare from our very own Chris Knight frame the name of that one. Cable Smith here thank you so much for sharing a part of Beer Week with me on the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Um, Also thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players as well. So glad to have you all with me today as we are about to check in with a good friend of mine who recently well, made an honest mistake. Ended up costing him a huge buck now by the letter of the law that makes him a poacher right but there's a difference between shooting a deer at night or shooting them with a spotlight or shooting them with a rifle during postseason, season all that stuff you're knowingly committing an unethical act this uh, this isn't that doesn't make it any less excusable but honest mistakes happen and uh, there are consequences. And so we're going to visit with my buddy Jeff Jackson here momentarily. But first, this segment of the show brought to you by Vortex Optics and their new Vortex gear lineup. That's right, all their t shirts, caps, hoodies, beanies, I mean, you name it, all of that Vortex gear. Uh, the entire line has been revamped. And um, here's the cool thing I've got a promo code 20% off your entire order when it comes to Vortex apparel. And that promo code by the way, Lone Star 20 when you check out at vortexoptics.com. Let's jump into it here with my buddy Jeff Jackson who was nice enough to drop by the studio. Actually he was here picking up an Oryx mount from one of our Guns and Guitars hunts. And so uh, we decided to sit down and have this conversation. He had told me about it months ago and, and I figured that uh, maybe some folks out there could learn from this. So, Jeff, certainly appreciate you dropping by, man.
1: Thank you very much. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, so you, you're you coming by to pick up a uh, a scimitar horned oryx that you shot at one of our Guns and Guitars events down at uh, Coons Canyon Ranch, and Josh and Becky, our, our mutual taxidermist, uh, handed it off to me at the Dallas Safari Club show, so you
1: made your way over here and you and I have got to hunt what, th- three or four times together now. Out Three at or Grin's four place. years out at uh, Coons Canyon. Had a great time. Killed some fantastic animals out there. And had a really good time. Yeah. And what we're going to talk about
0: today, though, is a situation that unfortunately you ran into that hopefully people can learn from. And, uh, I mean, you've been hunting your entire life, Jeff. And you told me when you told me about the story, you mentioned that you always buy your hunting license for basically the opening day of dove season, like so many other people do. And for whatever reason, was it two two years ago that this happened?
1: Uh, Yes, it was the year before last it happened. Normally we would buy our hunting license on the opening of uh, dove season. We'd take my family, some friends, some customers on dove hunts. Yeah. We would buy our dove hunt at the ranch we hunted on. It was just convenient, and we didn't have to wait any lines. So we all knew we were going to do it there, so it never was a problem.
0: Yeah. And so you, you know, you had your hunting license uh, that year, two years ago. You didn't get to go dove hunting.
1: Our dove hunt got canceled because of bad weather. Uh, we didn't. We ended up not uh, not hunting. We didn't get the license. No, at that time.
0: Yeah. So you had booked a whitetail hunt on a, uh, a high-fence property, uh, some ranch. I don't – it really doesn't matter what the ranch is. Um, and you shot a hell of a deer. I don't know – what uh, What did that thing end up scoring?
1: He scored 226 inches. And was this something that you'd always wanted to do? It was actually the third year I hunted on the ranch. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, what happened was we – you know when on when you hunt on the high fence ranch, which a lot of people may not know. You know a lot of people think, well, I don't. You know you don't even have to have a license to hunt on the high fence ranch. Well, yes, you do. Yeah. Now, that year, unsuspectingly, I at the time I was at the ranch, I didn't have my hunting license. Now I think I ended up getting it about two or three weeks after that hunt. Never even thought once about it.
0: Yeah. You shoot this buck, and there's people that are listening, they're going to beat you up for shooting a high fence deer. Hey, I've shot
1: them too. I, I don't care. Um, I say, hunt your way, whatever makes you happy. Well, you know, I didn't, I, I felt the same way years ago. I was adamant, you know, a high fence wasn't for me. Uh, the first time I hunted this ranch three years, when I sat down and really had a good conversation with the guy that owns the ranch, it gives you a lot more of a respect for what they have to go through in order to provide these high fence hunts. I mean, this is a hunt on a pretty large, you know, this pasture we were in is about a 1,000 acres. So, it's not like you're, you know, it's not a place where you go in. You're not shaking a feed bucket and here no, come the deer. Not, not right. at Which all. Which is a it, common misconception. You know, we, yeah. you know, there's people that have a hard time finding deer. I mean, it's not like you just go out there and there's 25 deer you can pick from and you get to shoot that one. I mean, we we have to hunt for them.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you, you shoot this buck and... I mean, probably are sending pictures to your buddies like like anybody
1: would. Hey, oh, look yeah. at, look at this thing, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, we had, I had, I had hunted there three years. I killed a nice deer every year. This this year, you know, and uh, the way that the paperwork is done for these high fence ranches, when you when they fill out the paperwork, you know, they have to go through a pretty stringent process. Uh, they have to take a brainstem sample out of every deer that's killed on a high finch ranch, send it off with a verified uh, history of the deer, where the deer came from, who was the sire of the deer, who, you know, what breeding facility and a lot of paperwork involved. And as far as what you have to fill out as a hunter uh, is pretty minimal. They just need your, your name, you know, of course, standard stuff, name, address, uh, and your, you can either use your driver's license or your hunting license. Right. Well, every year I'd been there, I gave them my hunt, my driver's license because it was it was an easier number to remember. Mm-hmm. Is you know the hunting license because you're probably hunting defense. on an MLD tag
0: at, at this place, so you don't even have to when you're whether you're hunting free range or high fence. If you're hunting MLD, that ranch has those tags available. You don't have to burn one of your buck
1: tags. I don't think – yeah, we didn't use – we did not use one of our tags. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if this particular ranch was under the MLD program or not. The breeding part of it where they buy the deer from a breeder and then they're taken to a ranch is a little bit different than, than a say, uh-huh. an owner hunting under his own MLD tags. But okay. regardless – uh, I had given him my driver's license every year and it's what everybody did because it was easier. They like it's, uh, the number shorter, uh, it's easier to see on the license. So that's just what they did because just the ease of the paperwork. Mm-hmm. Well, I never thought twice about, you know, about, uh, not having a license at the time I shot the deer. I didn't even think about it. Yeah. You know, and we went on in the first weekend of October is when we hunted, well, January, sometime just after the first of the year, I get a knock at my door at like seven thirty at night, and it's the local Texas Game Warden from from our you know from where I live. Uh-huh. Really a nice guy. Uh, you know, asked me if I was who I was. I said yes. He said, "Well, can I talk to you a few minutes?" I'm like, "Yeah, come on in." You know, so I invited him in. We chatted. He started asking me about deer I had killed. Year before, <laughs> you know, and I he said, well, did you kill any deer? I said, yeah, I killed. You know, I went on a on a on a buck hunt down in South Texas, and I went on a doe hunt. Another one, we shot some doe. And he said, well, tell me a little more about the deer, the deer in South Texas. So I tell him, you know, he said, was it a big one? I said, yeah, it was pretty big. <laughs> he said, well, where is that deer? And I said, well, he's in my freezer. And he said, the head? And I said, no, the meat. And he said, well, what about the head? And I said, well, it's at a taxidermist down in Brownwood. And he said, well. Do you, do you have his number? <laughs> so I said, yeah, I do. And he and said, the wheels are turning in your head yeah, at this well, point. Well, you know, now I'm thinking, oh, great. You know, I did something wrong. And so I give him the number, you know, text it to him on his phone right off my phone. No problem. And uh, he said, well, do that for me and I'll tell you why I'm here. So after I sent him the number where the deer, the head was, he tells me, well, we had a, a local game warden in the county where you shot it. Do a random check on this ranch and figured out you didn't have your hunting license At the time you shot the deer. I know you got it after that, but you didn't have it when you shot the deer. And until right then, I said, you know what? You are exactly right. And I explained the whole story to him, you know, what the dove hunt and the whole reason why. And I said, but you're exactly right, you know. Uh, I didn't have it at the time I shot the deer. Uh, So, uh. he – He says, well, I'm just going to get some general information from you. The game warden from the the county where you shot it down there is going to call you tomorrow probably. He just wanted me to come by and have a conversation with you and get some information, and he's going to call you and he'll explain a little more about it. So Um, I gave him everything that he needed, you know, all the pertinent information. And So the next day – and he was very nice. Through this whole thing, i got to tell you, the Texas game wardens – there wasn't any of them that I talked to – that weren't just overly nice. They were very nice people. Well, the game warden called me from down in the county where we were the next day, and, you know, I pretty much tell him the same story of what happened. And I had asked the game warden that came to my house. I said, hey, what do you have any idea what's going to happen to this deer? And he said, well, I don't know. You know, you'll just have to talk. He to knew him. full yeah, well <laughs> what was going to happen. Right when, he knew when he knocked on my door what was going to happen, but he didn't tell me. Yeah. So well, I don't know. You're going to have to have a conversation with the game warden that, from the county where you killed it. He'll tell yeah. you a little more. Just to give you a little background on high fence deer in the state of Texas, one of the only states in the nation that you're not allowed to import any whitetail deer from out of the state of Texas. So mm-hmm. any deer that is is sold. You, you're not these breeders that are breeding these huge deer in places other than Texas. They're not allowed to import those deer into Texas. If the deer are going to be bred to put on a high fence ranch, that has to be done in Texas. Mm-hmm. They cannot be brought in from outside of Texas. That's a federal violation. Yeah. And any deer that is in the, in the Parks and Wildlife has not really figured out how to regulate this high fence industry and the deer breeding industry you know, they, they're, they're kind of scratching their heads, you know, as to what we should be doing. Is there something else we need to do? Yeah. There is, but they haven't figured out what it is yet. So they're kind of going by an antiquated set of laws that they set up for deer when they're having to apply these, these fines. Any deer that's bred at a facility, when it leaves the breeding facility and, it, and is taken to a ranch, as soon as its feet hit the ground at the ranch, that deer is treated exactly the same as any other deer. The state of Texas owns it, has every right to it. Yeah. Every applicable, applicable law to a standard native deer applies to that high-fence yeah. deer. Even though the state has no financial vested interest in the deer they still own it just like they do, yeah. and and
0: I, do. from a me personally, I don't have a problem with that, with them owning it because I don't want our native wildlife to be
1: to no. be controlled
0: as livestock essentially, um, and that's where when the fine comes, that that is the one sticking point throughout this whole thing is like well. And you were
1: telling me – Well, what happens is, so when you – you know, after this – so the game warden calls me from the county. and He Mm -hmm. tells me, asks me some questions. He said, well, look, I'm going to send you a citation in the mail. He said, it's very easy. You can go online and pay it. It's not a big deal. You know, it's no problem. You go on and pay the fine. So a couple days later, I get a citation in the mail. And just like he said, I went online. The fine was $350. Yeah. Uh, I pay it right away, you know, and I'm thinking – and I asked him when we were on the telephone, he was explaining to me how to do it. I said, right when we were getting ready to hang up, I said, hey, uh, you know, what's what's going to happen to this deer? And he said, oh, well, you know, any deer taken illegally in the state of Texas gets seized. And I'm like, oh, man. It's going to end up on the wall of shame a, trailer. That this shows was an up expensive and- <laughs> deer. I said, you know, is there, is there any way I can get it back? And he said, well. I wouldn't even know who to tell you to call. He said, it's never happened before. So, <laughs> you know, now over the next couple of days, I'm just sick that I'm going to lo- that I'm not going to get this deer, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm thinking, well, it was an expensive lesson learned. I lost the deer. Yeah. I got to hunt it. I had some good pictures, but, you know, after a time I got over it, you know, it's just one of those things you chalk it up. I hated to lose the deer. It's yeah, a huge, perfectly symmetrical, you know, 12 point with, you know, a lot of long times. It was a very, very nice deer.
0: Yeah, certainly a good-looking deer. And we are going to take a quick break because things went from bad to worse. Uh, you paid the minimal fine, but the next thing that happened, I know it was very eye-opening. We're going to table. Let's come back with Jeff here in just a minute. That segment brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Be sure to grab a 12-pack on your way to the crappie hole, or maybe you're hitting the uh, sand bass run this spring. Whatever the case, celebrate tight lines and full stringers with a nice cold Lone Star beer. We'll be right back with more from our buddy Jeff Jackson on the Lone Star Outdoor show.
3: Pop a top again. I think I'll have another
1: round. Set em up, my friend. Then I'll be gone and you can live. some other... Hi, I'm Craig Boddington.
3: not a house of sin, it's a place where all of us fit in. I've seen the same faces Saturday night as I
1: have on Sunday morning. And Brother John's there sipping his drink. You know that he don't care what the others might think.
0: Cody Jakes bringing us back. And what Show Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today. Thank you for being here. Thanks to our title sponsor, Dallas Safari Club, as well as uh, Lone Star Beer, and our friends over at Hoff Power Polaris. Uh, We are visiting with my good friend, Jeff Jackson, who was nice enough to drop by and share a little bit of his misfortune today uh, in hopes that it can, you know, prevent some of y'all from maybe experiencing the same heartache. Uh, We talked about how Jeff shot this monstrous 226-inch buck at uh, a ranch here in in South Texas. And Jeff, unfortunately, didn't go dove hunting on September 1st due to weather. Hunt was canceled, and he just forgot to buy his license, just assumed that he had it. And we're going to pick it back up with Jeff momentarily. This segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and the little squealer hog light. It attaches to uh, your feeder leg or tree, wherever you're trying to bait hogs, and motion detection, and you get all of this, LED motion detection, little squealer, fifty nine ninety nine. It's a steal. Check it out at allseasonsfeeders.com. So back to our discussion with Jeff here. Um, you mentioned that you had to pay a $300 fine for taking the deer without a valid hunting license. Okay, you pay the fine, and at this point, you know, you, you're pretty sure you're not getting your buck back, which is a shame, but you think that's going to be the end of it? Until what? What happens next, Jeff?
1: So I don't hear anything after I pay the fine. This is this happens in uh, the first part of January. You know, all that's done. I'm just, you know, I'm telling my friends, you know, that that what happened, and they're sorry. We're bad. You know, it's bad. You lost it. But you know what? I when it, at the end of the day, I knew that I did something wrong, and that if that's what it is, you know, I, I was okay with it. You uh-huh. know, I, I hated it. You know, I lost the deer, and, you know, I'm never going to have it on my wall to look at from now on. I mean, I was sick about it, but I got over it. Uh Well, fast forward, May the 28th, I get a letter in the mail from the Parks and Wildlife Department in Austin. I open the letter. There's nobody's name on it. It's basically saying that uh, the state of Texas – uh, is seeking civil restitution for the deer that I had taken illegally in the amount of a little over nineteen thousand dollars for <laughs> oh this deer <laughs> and there was nobody's name on it or anything, you know, it said in it and this is I granted like, it, this is by pickup truck. <laughs> yeah, this is May twenty eighth. And the date, the letters dated April one, uh-huh. and it says I have thirty days to respond. <laughs> you already to the passed letter. due, <laughs> so we're, we're we're thirty days past due the deadline. So I, you know, I start thinking something's wrong with this. You know, this is a scam. I let I, you know, I let two or three people see the letter. I talked to a bunch of my buddies, and they're all saying, "Oh, dude, that's, you know, somebody's trying to scam you. That's not right." And so, a week or so later, the only thing that was on there, there's a phone number you can call that uh, if you had any questions about the fine or how to go about paying it or whatever, call. So I called, got a real nice lady down there in the enforcement division at the Parks and Wildlife. She asked me for the case number, and I gave it to her. And she said, oh, yeah, you you had the big deer down in South She's Texas. She's like, I've seen your picture. Yes, ma- <laughs> yes ma'am, I did. <laughs> she said, well, what was your question? And I said, well, I, I'm trying to figure out how they came up with this fine. You know, how in the world did they did they?" come up with this fine amount she said well your your deer scored 226 inches and you know that that's that's what the fine is and I said y'all use the deer's score to figure the fine she said yes sir and I said well did you know this was a high fence deer and she said I didn't I said well it is I said how (laughs) can you use a high fence this deer was bred to be that big (laughs) right and it wasn't even a native deer it was brought in from somewhere else you know i I don't that doesn't make any sense to me so you know she's she said and i said and and by the way this letter is dated april the first it's now almost it's june something right you know and and it says i only had 30 days to respond she said well i'm sorry about that they were trying to figure out if they were going to cap your fine or or not for a deer that size (laughs) So I said, well, I said, is there anybody I can talk to about this, you know? And she said, well, you, you can talk to the commander. And I don't remember his name offhand. Mm-hmm. I said, well, have him call me. So I she takes my number. A couple weeks go by, I don't hear from him, you know? And I'm getting nervous because now it's getting, you know, it's getting July, August. I'm ready to, you know, I've got a couple of hunts planned, dove hunt, you know, other Guns and
0: that, guitars coming up. Yeah, <laughs> that i got to get a
1: license for. So I need, you know, and it says in there, if you don't get this taken care of, you can lose your, Hunting license rights, I mean, I wanted to get some, get this behind me. So I called her back and said, hey, you know, this Jeff Jackson, I had called. She said, oh, yeah, I remember you calling. She said, has the commander not gotten back with you yet? I said, no, hadn't heard from him. So she says, well, let me get a hold of him. I'll have him call you. Well, about two hours later, he calls me, and he was very nice, as all the other ones were. They were mm-hmm. very, very nice guys. And I said, look, you know, I said, in the, the way they express this in the letter they send you, the state is seeking – civil restitution for the loss of the liability of the a, the asset that the state lost. I told him, I said, this is what I have I I.e.,
0: they want, in case that deer was breeding, you know, breeding stock of a huge, low, basically a low-fence whitetail, that's what the restitution would be. This buck isn't ever yeah, going to be him, a part of that population. I
1: asked him, I said, what would the fine would have been if it it's would have conundrum. been a doe? Yeah. And he said, well, I don't know, it would have been under a 1000 bucks." So, I said, do you realize in deer breeding that a doe that will consistently – breed deer over 200 inches is worth more than the buck is right he said I didn't know that and I said yes that is the case I said you know I don't see where you know I I kept telling him I don't see where the the state had a vested interest in this deer and how they can use the deer score to figure the fine." and and none of them ever told me whether or not they capped the deer the the way that Texas does it now if you shoot a buck illegally they're going to score the deer according you're going to pay a civil restitution according to what the deer scores they cap that at 200 inches Uh well this deer went over 200 inches and the way it works the more inches it has the more progressively the fine gets larger and larger they never told me whether they capped it or not i'm assuming because the fine is as large as it is that they did that they did not cap it that they find me you know and i explained to them i said you know I've been buying a Super Combo my whole entire life, as long as they've been available. I have never, ever had a hunting violation in my entire life. Mm -hmm. You know, he said, I'd noticed that. And I said, I'm getting treated exactly the same as if I would have been a 10-time poaching offender and you shot
0: it at night with a spotlight
1: at night at a spotlight off the road on somebody else's property right you know it's no different I mean I got the maximum fine it'd be like telling me that a guy that got one DWI first one he's ever had in his whole life it was an accident he you know drove Mm -hmm. that he's gonna get fined exactly the same punishment as a guy that's a 10-time DWI repeat offender right that's basically what you're telling me here you know so he said and, I, you know, I, I said, is there anybody that can help, you know, with this fine or, or, or you know, how it's structured? I mean, they did give me – if you pay it within 30 days, they give you a 20% discount <laughs> in the letter. If you pay it within 30 days, you get a 20% discount. Well, it was already a 60 deal. days old. <laughs> yeah. So I asked him, I said, well, you know, is there anything you can you can do for me? What now? if you don't have that much money? And, like, and I told – I explained just go to, to jail, him, I said, or? you know, a lot of guys, this is the kind of money – that put people into bankruptcy. They yeah. lose their homes. They lose their yeah. cars. I mean, is this what you want? You know, is this how this is structured, you know? I mean, I, I'm I'm having a hard time understanding that. I mean, this is, this is a large amount of money that you're charging for this deer that had absolutely zero effect on any native deer whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. And he was very nice, and he said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, let me make some phone calls. Let me talk to some people. I'll call you back. So – couple of weeks later, he calls me back and he says, look, he says, I, we haven't really, you know, we're not really coming in. I'm not really getting anywhere with anybody. He said about the only thing I can do is, uh, I can offer you an additional 10% off of the fine. So the actual fine turned into it was around 19,000 with basically with 30% off and ended up being a little over 13,000 Wow, that I paid. And, uh. You know, he let me break it up into a couple of payments over three or four months. He was nice about that, you know. And and there is an option that you can go to court. You know, I haven't talked to anybody yet, and I am i don't know whether I'm going to approach that or not. The people that I talk to that are in the breeding business are saying that they've ran into this before and that it's a losing cause to try to fight the state on this. Yeah. But, you know, I'm just uh, – I feel like something needs to be done for the state to, you know, regulate how they're assessing these fines. I mean – you know, a guy that poaches a deer, whether it's on his property, shoots it without a license, whatever the fine may be, is a, is a lot different than somebody that's, that's that's going in on a high fence ranch on a deer that, that it's in a pasture with no native deer in it whatsoever. You know, so the deer had zero effect on the native population; it never even intermingled with it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where I have the problem, and I understand how the law reads that the state because that slippery
0: deer. slope, though, because we both agree the state should own the deer. But it's, but to fine like it's a free ranging deer is, it seems a little skewed, doesn't it? Well, I mean, it's, like- you know, the fact,
1: if I tell, you know, 90% of the people to tell them, you know, you're not, the fine isn't what's going to hurt you. It's that civil restitution. Now, granted the state applies a value to every huntable animal in the state of Texas, be it birds, be it anything that you have to have a license to hunt, mm-hmm. there's a, Value applied to it. Well, a white-tailed deer, naturally, is the highest appraised animal in the state of Texas. It's worth the most in the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. The value on a white-tail is the highest of of any huntable animal in the state, which is normal. You know, it's native. That's our biggest animal we have. But how they're applying these fines, you know, is because a a native deer, and he told me, he said, well, we know that, you know, native deer, it's very unlikely they're ever going to grow above 200 inches you know, most of the time these are deer, you know, they're talking, but even a, you know, I don't know what a, a 150, you know, or 160, he didn't tell me how they regulate the fine or whether or not they cap my fine. He didn't go over that. You know, they don't yeah. give you a schedule of how the fines applied, but yeah. I know it's, it's heavy yeah. and the bigger <laughs> the deer gets, the higher the fine goes, increasingly gets worse as it gets bigger.
0: So you paid for this deer twice. I paid then for the so- deer
1: twice. Then some, and I still don't have the deer. <laughs> and I don't you know, think you're ever going to get it back. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't look like I'm ever going to see it, you know. And and the bad thing about it is, and like I said before, you know, I don't blame the game boarders. Any. They they were all very nice. Everyone that I talked to was extremely nice. They were extremely, you know, they, they were just – they were good people. I had no complaints. They were very polite, every one of them, even everyone I had dealings mm-hmm. with. My problem is, you know, how they – that they can take – a bred a deer that was bred to be that big. I mean it was done you know it because it, it, we both know that that a high fence deer and a native deer, that's two different animals, you know those those are those are two different things. you know, and these deer, most of the time these the good high fence areas are you know the the pasture we hunted these deer in, there was zero native deer in there with them, none whatsoever, mm-hmm. there was none. There was only the deer that he had put in there us to hunt was all that was there you know there wasn't like he just co-mingled with all the native deer which is the way it should be done you know
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah well a very expensive lesson learned oh it was you expensive. do need a license to hunt a high fence and uh and and like you said you plan on having your license anyway you just Didn't go dove hunting. and and then I I
1: admitted to him. I was perfectly honest with him. And I told him, I said, you know, the the sad thing about it is I said, you really didn't give me any motivation to tell the truth. (laughs) I mean, normally everybody says honesty is the best policy. I was 100% honest, upfront with them. Didn't hide anything from them. You know, told them everything they wanted to know. And uh, it didn't do me any good. But you did get to keep the meat. I did get to keep them <laughs> That's mean. an expensive venison you know, back wasn't it? And, oh. and granted, deer now, these breeding facilities are breeding. They've learned how to breed very, very pretty deer. These, aren't, these deer are not barnacle-filled, ugly-looking monsters now. They've really learned how to breed the deer properly. Uh, the deer are a lot more symmetrical now. Mm-hmm. I mean, this deer was a perfectly symmetrical 12-point with some – you know large antlers with stickers here and there i mean it was a very beautiful you know if i would have told you that you know i could have easily said that's just a big native deer somewhere you wouldn't have been able to look at that deer Mm -hmm. and tell me oh that's a high fence deer you know yeah yeah. Uh, so you know the respect i have for high fence ranches you know they work hard at 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 breeding good deer and the, the good breeders that are out there. And, and, granted, there are some bad ones. You know, you can find a high-fence hunt that a guy sells and kill a deer on three acres if that's what you want to well, do. Well, that's then. BS, you know. And we all agree yeah. that's not the way to high-fence hunt. There is a lot of very, very respectable uh, high-fence ranches that that go out of their way and have to work extremely hard to put you on a good deer hunt, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, just to give you an idea, this deer that I I hunted down there for three days before I shot this deer and never saw anything I wanted to shoot until I saw that one. So it's not like you're going out, you know, and this is my experience. Other people have different experiences. It's not like you're going out every time you leave camp and seeing a hundred deer that are 200 plus inches. You're having to find them, hunt them, you know, and not all of them, you know, he doesn't put you know the particular place we were on he had deer anywhere from 160 to 180 up to you know there was a 300 incher out there somewhere that nobody saw the whole entire time Mm. we were there he said it was there nobody saw it you know yeah Yeah. uh so some of the places that you hunt these high fins deer very respectable uh very respectable outfitters yeah
0: well good stuff jeff uh sorry that that you won't be getting that head back. I think it's safe to say you're no sorrier um, than I am. I <laughs> but, just wanted uh, to
1: make everybody aware that's yeah. you know if you're ever thinking about doing that or you know some people still to this day don't don't think you have to have a license to hunt on a high fence ranch and the answer to that's completely wrong. I mean yeah. you have to treat that just like you do going to your regular deer lease in the state of Texas. All yeah. the licenses still apply. And I think the uh, it's another thing that the state has fallen behind on is making everybody in the hunting community aware of what the laws are concerning high-fence deer because every year there's more and more outfitters are, you know, getting into the high-fence. Mm-hmm. The outfitting. fences
0: aren't coming down. So no, love them, hate them, or indifferent, they aren't going you anywhere. You know,
1: some landowners put them up not necessarily to sell hunts. They just want to keep their deer in their property you know, I and mean, we've, we've you know, I've been on ranches that are 20, you know, 30,000 acres that, that mm-hmm. are are high fenced. You know, there's those out there. And those yeah. are not, you know, that's not even, you know, we don't even, we wouldn't even consider that a high fenced ranch. I mean, that's yeah. a large piece of property. Well, I certainly appreciate the time today, my friend.
0: And uh, if we have guns and guitars again this summer, I look forward to seeing you down at Glenn's.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate it, Cable, everything you do.
0: So there he goes, my good friend. Jeff Jackson, lifelong hunter who learned a valuable lesson, and uh, and I do feel for Jeff, and, and I wanna be real careful about how I choose my words here, but the state of Texas, nor the hunters who inhabit the state, were ever gonna benefit from that deer, right? So, let's compare it to that state record buck that was poached by Travis Johnson in Denton County uh, two years ago, would've been a state record archery buck, and he shot it at night. And his tree stand was across his neighbor's property line. I mean, he was on the neighbor's place when he shot it. So, that is poaching. He stole the opportunity, potentially, from another hunter being able to harvest that deer. What Jeff did, yeah, I mean, the letter of the law throws it all into the same category. Uh, I understand, you know, Texas Parks and Wildlife is kind of between a rock and a hard place, as they do own the wildlife behind high fences, and I'm glad that they do, but I don't know, maybe there should be like a a flat fee for something like this because it seems ridiculous for Jeff to have to pay the same restitution as, as someone who poached a deer that other hunters would have had the opportunity to harvest. So, I don't know. It's, a, it's an interesting situation, and I certainly feel for Jeff. But he understands the letter of the law uh, doesn't discriminate. And he took his lumps and is, as you could tell, a, a good sport about it. Uh, so, kudos to him for that and you can see a picture of the buck on my website by the way Uh, that segment brought to you by dallas safari club the worldwide leader in big game conservation i'd like to invite you to get plugged in with this great group of folks who are passionate about hunter's rights education and conservation for more info check us out at biggame.org up next we'll grab a bowie knife and some good dogs and head to the woods with josh wiley of Rutten Outdoors and Daniel Rzinski of High Caliber Kennels. It's all things hog dogging after the break on the Lone Star Outdoor Show.
3: Now the hard is a tricky thing.
1: Yours more than most. you spend your whole life on with the look on your face
0: like a sain go. Hey guys, Cable here, and uh, I want to tell you about outdoor access. See? Access is the one thing I hear hunters complaining about the most. They don't have a place to hunt, but they want to, right? Well, outdoor access is the solution to that problem. Think Uber, but for hunters. It's a membership-based program. It's only $9 a month, but it gives you access to a list of properties for uh, hunting, whatever you want. You want to hunt deer one weekend? Great. You want to hunt ducks on another property the next? Fine. Turkey on another? You have dozens to choose from. And it's a lot less expensive than paying for a traditional 52 week lease. So, if you're interested in basically what I call Uber for the outdoorsman, use the activation code Lone Star at checkout. Just go to OutdoorAccess.com. That's OutdoorAccess.com and use my promo code Lone Star for 30% off your membership. That's OutdoorAccess.com. Said he ain't no hound, he's a black cur He'll do what you got in mind He gonna tree any coon Or catch any hog, pin any steer in sight
1: He'll watch over your young'uns and defend them Until he breathes his last breath Now I've seen a few dogs in my day But I ain't seen nothing quite
0: like them yet Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Black Mouth Gur, the name of that one is from my buddy Justin Bowerman. Of course, it had to be considering the context of our next discussion, which is hog-dogging, one of the most exciting things that you can do in the great outdoors. Uh, certainly <laughs> a uh, an adrenaline rush when you get to the bay. It's like nothing else out there, I tell you what. And we're going to get into uh, our... Well, we actually did two hunts last week, um, including one of the best hog-dogging trips. No, the best I've ever been on. I mean, the dogs, they caught a lot of hogs. Um, But we'll get into that in detail momentarily. This segment brought to you by the pant (laughs) that I was wearing on those trips. And there's a reason for wearing First Light Sawbuck on that type of hunt. You're running through the woods. and, And this time of year in Texas, it's full of those vines i don't even know what they're called but those little green vines that have all the thorns on them and not only do they cut you but they grab you and you get tangled up they're a real pain in the ass i'll put it that way the sawbuck pant is the best deterrent i've found for those situations and you know from north texas to south texas where the brush country where everything can cut you grab you scratch you bite you uh, that's what the sawbuck is for especially for you upland guys uh, great option for you as well. Check it out at FirstLight.com. It's the Sawbuck First Light. Go further. Stay longer. With that being said, let's welcome our next guest to the show. Joining me right now, uh, Josh Wiley of Rutten and Struttton Outdoors and Daniel Rosinski of High Caliber Kennels. Thanks for being here, fellas.
3: Yeah, it's great to be on the show, Cable. Nice to talk to you again.
2: Yeah, Cable. Appreciate you having us on here.
0: So we were going to do this in
3: studio, but
4: with the current state of affairs and the fact that my kids are out of school for the foreseeable future, as are most people's, uh, we'll just have to settle for a phoner. And now Josh and I have uh, known each other since junior high. Daniel, I just met you this past week through Josh. So how did you guys initially get hooked up together?
2: Really, through hunting. We got buddies that we know both of us and. That's how we kinda of got contact in in hog hunting. I know that Josh is a big hog hunter and loved shooting them pigs and hunting pigs, so
3: so we got in contact and been at it ever since. Daniel loves the hog hunt and he figured out I did too and Matt's made in heaven. We figured we'd just get after these hogs as much as we could.
4: Yeah, and Josh you're you're quite interesting because uh you have three thousand acres that you lease with a bunch of buddies in Oklahoma and you've got nice deer up there but uh, you're not really mad at the deer you're, you're you'd much rather go hog hunting
3: that's right all day every day <laughs> I you know i i've deer hunted a little bit and i you know uh a good buddy of mine josh you know took me a couple years ago and shot a nice 11 point uh uh-huh. out there in his place in texas and uh you know i just when it was over i kind of looked at him and said that's it <laughs> like that's what all the fuss is about and he said yeah and i just it just wasn't there for me. I love chasing these hogs all all day, all night. I mean, I'll stay up all night long and chase them until the sun comes up i'm just I'm eat up with it mm-hmm. i can't I can't get enough of it,
4: obviously, Daniel's the same way. Um uh, Daniel, how long have you been raising and, and training and hunting with hog dogs?
2: Uh, I've been doing it almost all my life. my grandpa he was a he was a big coot hunter, and uh, so he always had dogs around. He was always in the woods hunting hunting coons, which I went with them too, and, and so was my dad, my dad always been a big coon hunter, and then kind of coon hunting kind of got a little out of style, so they went to run hogs when hogs came over here to this country, and, and ever since I was little, I used to miss school and go hog hunting with them, we had to have all their older buddies to come out and go hunting, and, and I've been in it ever since, man, yeah. just kind of kind of keep going on the generation, and now I'm still hunting the same land. That my grandpa was
4: hunting, and you're in East Texas.
2: Yes, sir, East Texas.
4: Okay, well, I think it was probably about a decade ago that I went for the first time, and and I immediately fell in love with, with the sport and the the people that are involved with it, and obviously the dogs are a big part of that. So I, I distinctly remember the first time I went, you know, made it to the bay, and just what a rodeo that was. Josh, do you remember the first bay that you ever went to?
3: Oh yeah. And that wasn't even that long ago. I just started hog dogging when I met Daniel, so oh, okay. I had really never been before that either. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd always thermal hunted and you know, uh, and hunted at our lease. But yeah, that first boy, that first bay, it was it was uh, <laughs> it was quite a show. I, I'll tell you that. Dogs everywhere, and Daniel's running up and grabbing the back legs, and that hog, was twirling him around, and well, I was like. It was a it
4: was a rodeo, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Well, I I distinctly remember that, and someone hands me a a, a buoy knife and is like, "All right, put it behind the shoulder." You know, it's just like, "What? Oh, okay." I mean, that's what we're here to do, but you don't you don't realize you don't you can never experience. I mean, you can never expect what uh, what all of that entails. It's uh it's like nothing else out there. And and from that point, you know, I think that's really why I fell in love with with hounds and and have done you know mount lion and stuff like that with them since. That first hog dogging trip. And um, it's the dogs that really are the stars of the show. Uh, Daniel, what kind of hounds are, are most prevalent among Texas hog doggers and, and what do you run?
2: Well, a lot of people like to run them blackmouth covers. Mm-hmm. But really, it's just the type of, I mean, who, just who. You find all kinds of people with different breeds of dogs and different kinds of dogs. I got friends that run nothing but blackmouth cars. I got people that run nothing but plot hounds.
4: Mm-hmm. and
2: i got some that runs nothing but uh walker hounds me i have a little bit of variety i do have a blackmouth curve i had a i had a couple blackmouth curves. but right now i have one blackmouth curve i have a catahoula full blood catahoula i have a plot dog i have a catahoula and walker cross that i've raised from a walker dog uh-huh. he turned out to be a pretty good dog um um I just recently picked up a road. he's in Ridgeback, and hopefully turn him to a good dog and then I got my bulldogs and i got I got a little small bulldog he has a big head on him he ain't very tall, very big but he has most style in him as any other dog
4: and that's the is and, that the uh, pit bull
2: yeah, this is yeah this is his name is Deuce. I don't believe you've met him yet, or you seen him when he came over here.
4: Yeah, we didn't hunt him, he, he got, was he got, recovering.
2: No, he got two, two weeks later, a couple of weeks ago, and he's still recovering from it. And then he got dove, yeah, the bulldog.
4: Well, and like Wynn, for example, who we, we went we went to your place on Wednesday, we actually went twice this week, we went to your place Wednesday, we went to Wynn's place on Sunday, and uh, he runs just blackmouth Curse. Um that's what it's mostly in his string, so it's... But you know yeah, it's, it's kind of really like lies. these these lion hounds. They you just if someone says, "Hey, I got potentially a good dog," well, you just you kind of take them up on that. Um, and I that mean, that, variety is the spice of life when it comes to this sport. There's no doubt about that. Um, let's see. Yesterday, we uh, on Sunday. Excuse me. On Sunday, we we had what, what I would say is the best day of hog dogging I've ever been a part of. I think previously, you know, maybe we caught three pigs um, in the five or six times I'd been out, and, you know, like that was the best day, like three hogs. Yesterday, we caught nine pigs. Uh, there was four or five different guys who had dogs out there, and, you know, we ran through the first line and went back, went back and picked up some fresh dogs and went and caught like three more hogs. So uh, the action was fast and furious, and you know one of the things that uh, really stood out was just how good these bay dogs were at doing their job. So what uh, what do you look for? What makes a good bay dog?
2: Just the the want to, the hunt. Right. You turn your bay dog loose, he goes in there, he puts a leave and go strike up, strike up a pig. You know, am sitting right there next to you or hanging around the buggy. least you got those, and they're still good dogs. They'll help dogs is what we call them.
4: Union dogs. When they
2: hear, once, they, once they hear a yeah, union dog, once yeah. they hear Bart, they're gone. Uh-huh. but he's going to go out there and find you a pig. You know, he's going to go out there and find us crossing rivers or miles at a time. I've had dogs run miles, and it takes me 30 minutes to an hour to get to them sometimes.
4: Mm-hmm. And you
2: want that dog to stay there and hold that pig, not let it go nowhere until you can get there.
4: Yeah, which is why it's important to have a you know a relatively large piece of property that you can hunt because dogs don't know fence boundaries, but you can see the property lines and kind of correct them if they, they start to get – Going yeah, the wrong direction.
2: Yeah, you know, I got the Garmin also one who's my dogs, and once I hear that beep on that collar, they know they're going too far the wrong way, or they're not doing something they're supposed to.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, and we had, I think when we were hunting with you, we had like six thousand acres of you know to access, and then wind place was like three thousand, so tons of land. Uh, didn't really have to worry about that, but it is a concern, you know. And I think that probably gives uh, some of the you know other landowners and and ranchers and maybe deer hunters maybe look down on hog doggers because of that thinking oh they're going to be on my property but like you said with the garment technology that's out there you can put a collar on each dog in your string and be looking at them on the same screen and know exactly where they are uh so that that mm-hmm. truly has been beneficial what i like most about hog dogging is it's twofold number one the dogs number two It's a family-friendly or, you know, a group-friendly hunting environment. It's like dove hunting, you know, because you can all be out there hanging out. Um, You can even drink a cold beer if you want to. And it's really when the dogs start baying, barking, that's when everyone gets on point, and and then it's a race to get to them once that hog's bayed up. My son is seven, and he tagged along Sunday. He knew that we went on Wednesday, right, and was beating me up about it, but we went kind of in the afternoon and ended up hunting until damn near... 1 a.m., so no place for a seven-year-old, but when we went, you know, church was canceled everywhere on Sunday, so it was like, hey, let's go hog-dogging, and uh, not that we wouldn't have maybe skipped out anyway, but um, <laughs> he, he wanted to come, and I was like, okay, he has wanted to help me butcher everything that he's seen me shoot, you know, he's he likes, like, when we start cleaning an animal, trying to do a necropsy on to and figure out how the bullet or arrow or whatever killed him, and He's fine getting his hands bloody. He loves all that stuff. But still, it's pretty eye-opening for a seven-year-old. And it happened so quickly. When we let the, the dogs out, they busted up a sound of like 30 pigs, right? And hogs are running across the field, and catch dogs are being turned loose. And Josh, I mean, w- what happened at that point? Because it was uh, definitely a s show.
3: That's right. That's when the real show started. You know, we had two or three catch dogs loose running on different pigs, you know, in different directions and, and the dogs don't know, they don't know, you know, most of them don't know to pick the biggest hog or the smallest hog. I mean, they're just, yeah. they get keyed in on, they get keyed in on one hog and then, and then that's it. You know, like uh dove's eyes just happened to go to the, that group of uh, you know, the piglets and he turned and went left. And then you saw a bullet turn and chase that sow down you know, out in the middle in the wide open. Uh, but, yeah, it was definitely a an S show for sure.
4: And there's four buggies, you know, Polaris, Mules, um, Hondas, all going in different directions, chasing dogs. And I think we ended up getting three out of that group. And uh, But we went over to where Bullet had caught a, uh, about a 150-pound or so sow. And one of the guys was like, hey, little man, you want to stick it? And Henry's like, what? This is about the time where Henry's eyes got real wide, and I was like, "Oh gosh, uh, he didn't want to, so I did it, and still he, the pigs are the pigs are all squealing, and people are hollering and and here's a knife going into this hog, and so for a seven year old to see that I think it was just happened so fast, I didn't know if he was gonna like it after that, um you know he I mean Josh, you saw how wide eyed he was, oh for sure, yeah, but
3: I think he I think he was a little shell shocked at first, yeah. I think he saw that once, you know, dad was doing it and it ended up okay, you know, I think he was like, okay, like this, this, you know, this could be cool. This, this is okay. Like, yeah, stepped up. He did it. I watched him do it. And now he, you know, it all worked out okay. And we're on to the next one. I think after the, by about the second pig, I think he was in the money.
4: Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, I tried to. Explained to him that what happened and he knew I was carrying a big buoy knife on my hip and I'd shown it to him and told him, Hey, this is what we're going to use to dispatch the hogs. And but you can't prepare a seven year old for that raw and honest nature of, uh, what goes down at the bay. So, but like you said, by the second hog, he was asking all kinds of questions and, uh, he was all about it. And, and by the time the day was over, we you know we're riding back in the truck and he's saying, dad, when can we go again? <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> and it helped there. He had a little buddy, uh, Cody had a uh, one of the other guys had his stepson out there and Cooper was about five years old so I think that was uh you know he saw if Cooper could be out there he certainly should be out there so we got on that first group of hogs uh, like I said we got three of them so let's let's table this we'll come back let's talk about the catch dogs up next sound good yeah yeah no problem
0: excellent and that segment uh, was brought to you by rustic reminders taxidermy Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of all all of my taxidermy needs for going on damn near a decade now. They do amazing work, whether that's uh, an axis buck, a whitetail, an oddad, you name it. Um, they're working on my wolf from British Columbia as we speak, mountain lion from Colorado, trout from the Texas coast. They do it all. They do amazing work with quick turnaround time, and they answer the phone when I call. Check them out at gr8mounts.com. Up next, it's a motley crew of pit bulls, bulldogs, dogos, mastiffs, just dog and who knows what else. We're talking catch dogs right. on the Lone Star Outdoors show. Just an old month, riding shotgun, getting my seats all muddy. Live Oak Outdoors offers some of the best waterfowl hunting in the Central Flyway, hunting over 2,000 acres of cut rice along the coast that attracts wintering geese by the tens of thousands. Hunts take place out of layout blinds or white parkas over a spread of 1,500 decoys. It's also common to shoot pintail and other puddle ducks in the goose spread. Professional guides make sure you have a safe and memorable hunt of a lifetime. They're based out of El Campo, Texas. Check them out at liveoakoutdoors.com, or you can book your hunt by calling Chris Slimp at 832-466-9646. She's my best girl She's got
4: six strings And she knows all about things
3: Heartbreak things her eyes might not shine. She's always by my
1: side
0: That's Lucero, my best girl Bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show Powered by Dallas Safari Club I'm your host, Cable Smith, and there's no place I'd rather be than talking hog-dogging today with you guys and gals, so thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Dallas Safari Club as well, our title sponsor, and Lone Star Beer. Um, We're about to talk catch dogs. When it comes to hog-dogging, I mean, it's not possible without bay dogs, right? But then it's also not safe without a good catch dog. You're not going to go in there if you don't have the jowls of death essentially latched onto that big boar because it's freaking dangerous. Uh, And and that's why sometimes the lifespan on these catch dogs is somewhat short. Uh, But but if you've been around it, you know that they love their job. There's nothing else that they want to do. We're going to talk about those stars of the show coming up here as we continue our visit with Josh Wiley and... Daniel Rosinski but first this segment proudly brought to you by John X Safari's uh, 2020 hunt is full but dates are booked for 2021 summer 2021 if you want to join me on the Safari of a Lifetime then it'll be that'll be my fifth trip 2021 Uh five years in a row and if you want to join me I wouldn't keep going back by the way if it wasn't awesome uh, but if you want to go with me to uh, South Africa's Eastern Cape and hunt with John X Shoot me an email, Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. I'll send you the info and uh, we can get the ball rolling on you being a part of that hunt. Um, let's continue our discussion with Josh Wiley and Daniel Rosinski of High Caliber Kennels. Right now, guys, thanks for sticking around.
4: Oh yeah, we're here. It's been good. So, Daniel, it's important to understand that these are these dogs are not pets. Some are actually failed pets who got a second chance in life as a hog dog um they're working dogs just like you know i, I always say they're treated very similar to how a lot of upland hunters treat their you know their, their quail dogs their upland dogs they're in a kennel all the time and unless they're hunting you know they are provided food shelter medical care in exchange for the service that they provide you
2: yes sir they're they're well taken care of and yeah, they're not in the house getting warm. It's cold outside, but their barrels got hay or shavings in them. They're comfortable.
4: Yeah. Well, and I think that that's you know a misconception that like for for the guy that uh, I, I cougar hunted with in Colorado, he had 30 dogs all staked out in his yard, and they all had their own barrel full of hay. And you know it's snowing; it's middle of winter, and those dogs were perfectly fine as long as they have food, water, and shelter. And when you know if they get dinged up, then the proper medical attention is given to them. And and that brings up another thing. I mean, all you guys are like pretty much on the spot veterinarians with your, you know, you've got kits and everything. Because these dogs get, they do get nicked up a little bit.
2: Yeah, they do. I got a couple that's nicked up right now. But I got my staple guns and my antibiotics and and some other medication type stuff that I use on them Uh, as soon as they get cut or, I need to doctor them. Sometimes it takes days. And I need to do it every day mm-hmm. yeah. to doctor
4: them.
2: Yeah. You know, stay on top of it and make sure nothing gets infected and dirty.
4: Yeah. Well, so when I said some of these dogs get a second chance in life, you've got one right now named Kane that's your full-blooded Catahoula. And that dog hasn't even been doing this very long. And he really, I mean, I think he did excellent yesterday.
2: Yeah, he's doing great. He's really turned on to be a dog. He uh he was a pet at first and he's got he got kinda started getting a little um get a little rough and a little angry here and there towards things and we're like, well let's see let's see what he'll do to a hog. Let's he's gonna turn into a hog dog and and the day that I knew he was gonna be a hog dog, I turned him loose back here behind my house. Just let him run, get out, you know have some fun. And I went and checked my deer fish and whatnot. And uh, he never been hunting before. Uh-huh. Like, he doesn't know what to do. And I'm trying to look for him. Like, where did he go? And I heard him barking. Like, 100 yards, not very far. I started barking. I'm like, what on earth is he barking at? And I went over there and crossed the creek, and this big pig came running out. I was like, dang. So I, can't, I came back to and got my other dog, my bulldog, and caught that pig. But
4: that just really impressed me
2: how he just turned out to just like he knew what exactly he exactly
4: was doing, just in his blood, and he'd never been hog hunting before,
2: yeah, he's never been, but he's been he's i think he's bred out of hog dogs, uh-huh, but that's it. Like, he was a pet before then,
4: yeah, so a failed pet, now a great hog dog and and uh I think the guy's name was Jason, one of the guys who was there and had some dogs yesterday. he had this uh this catch dog named Hooch, and I asked him a little bit about hooch, and he was like, man, I don't even know what what breed he is. I got him from uh, somebody was about to shoot him because he had killed some goats, and they were like, we can't have this dog around killing these goats. Well, it turns out, old Hooch, he hates uh, hogs as much as he hates goats. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, he was a good dog. I liked him.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he was, and he looked like a, like, if anyone's seen that movie, Turner and Hooch, he, he looked like uh mini Hooch there, and hence the name Hooch, but you know, he didn't even know what, what, what he is. Certainly a little Mastiff, and, you know, as far as these catch dogs, um talk about the role that they play daniel and and what makes a good one
2: what the good one is like going there and catch a pig and you can hold him.
4: Uh-huh. you know,
2: don't let them go and that there i mean it helps you get the pig too because he's got that pig down and trying to hold on as much as you can um a big i mean people got different opinions big bulldogs small bulldogs where the catch dogs are i got some small bulldogs and I mean, they get slung around, <laughs> they get spun around, slung around, but they did the job.
4: Yeah. Well, and as far as, like, the, describing what they are doing during the hunt, they're generally hooked up in the buggy or on a lead with the handler until there's a visual at the bay, right?
2: Yeah, that's right. I keep my bulldog in the buggy with me at all the time until, well, unless one run, runs across the field, then I can chase him down and turn him loose. But, no, when the bay is going, when the dogs, the bay dog's got that pig, caught or surrounded and they're barking at it and barking at it my bulldog he knows what that means he knows what that sound is he knows what them dogs are barking at mm-hmm. and uh, we like to get them pretty close i mean sometimes it'll be 100 yards sometimes it'll be 50 yards before i turn them loose yeah. sometimes it'll be really close but i try to get close as i can and turn him loose so you don't have to run so far yeah and get too tired before he does catch that pig
4: yeah because these are not yeah, long-winded they dogs they're built for power whereas the you know the bay dogs are built for for long ranging and and they're you know they've got a lot more wind than than these catch dogs do. Yes, sir, that's right. Yeah. So, w- Josh, what are the uh, what are the popular breeds here? We've got pit bulls, bulldogs. You know, mastiff mixes, Argentine Dogos. Am I missing any?
3: Um. No, I think for the most part, you know, and Daniel's probably better, you know, know that than me. But, you know, most of the guys I see have pit bulls or you know American bulldogs. You know, for the most part, mm-hmm. I do see a lot of those uh, Dogos that are super popular. Uh, but sometimes uh, the best ones, you know, is something that somebody comes up with and makes. I mean, you know, Bullet is a, you know, it's a, he's a great catch dog too and uh, can really get out there wide open and run them down. Yeah. You know, so you kind of, you kind of got all different, you know, all different breeds.
4: So that's one of Wynn's dogs. And I had never heard of it called a quarter dog, but Bullet was a quarter pit bull, quarter uh, Mastiff, quarter Argentine DoGo, and quarter Greyhound, and you could really see that Greyhound when when he did get cut loose in the open field. Like, <laughs> it's the fastest catch dog I've seen, uh, mm-hmm. and he's got those long legs, but still built like a brick, you know, what house. The thing that these these catch dogs offer though is protection for for you going in there to whether you're gonna you know um, tie the hog up or or dispatch it. You've got to have that the hog's face you know occupied. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be bad news for the, the the bay dogs and for you, potentially. Oh, for sure. Daniel, what do you teach these dogs to, to catch, or what are they trying to grab onto when you when you cut them loose?
2: They need to grab the ear is the where they need to catch at. Once they got that ear, you've got one bulldog or two bulldogs, two bulldogs hanging on each side of that ear, that's a catch right there. Then and That pig ain't going nowhere.
4: Uh-huh. Um,
2: even if it was just one bulldog, the ear is the main spot. That's where
4: they need to be catching at. And, and this is pretty dangerous. I mean, it, sometimes they get killed, but all of the dogs that we were hunting with, all these catch dogs have on a Kevlar cut cut vest and, and collar. A lot of the bay dogs have on cut collars. So you are trying to protect them, you know, as best you can.
2: Yeah, because they're the ones that's going to go get in there and doing the most fighting. You got to protect them. And because they're right there at the head, mm-hmm. the big tusk, and that's what them vests are for. All like, right. We got beds, my my vest is all cut up from uh, hogs tearing them up. But that there protects them and need that on your catch dog.
4: And do those tusks sometimes penetrate Kevlar?
2: I haven't had one penetrate just yet. I got some thin spots coming up, but I haven't had one penetrate yet. Not the vest that I'm running.
4: Yeah. So where where is the – because these dogs, like I said, sometimes they do get cut. They do get um, in, in, bad, in a bad way. Where are they most uh, susceptible to, to something bad happening?
2: Well, you want to protect their sides because they can get hit by the ribs and puncture along. That's not good. Really, I've had dogs – bulldogs get cut up from the chest to the back before. Huh. And even the face. I've seen bulldogs get cut right down the middle of their face.
4: Like your current one now uh the little guy uh, yeah
2: like, you know, yeah deuce yeah uh, he got cut up all on all the face and the head area
4: yeah well i mean it, it is a dangerous job for them uh but you know it's what they want to do i mean you look at these dogs the catch dogs are, are right in the back of these buggies just waiting for that moment where they get to go hunt you know the the, the bay dogs are are getting to hunt all day you know but it, uh it's a pretty short and sweet uh you know endeavor for these catch dogs once they're cut loose it's usually over in a matter of minutes, sometimes even seconds.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Dub, he gets. This is passion. He loves. It. He whines in the buggy sometimes. Because he wants to get loose.
4: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he does. Well, it's like uh, sometimes Belle is sitting there when when she sees ducks working, and she starts letting out a little a low whimper. That's <laughs> just yeah. it, it's just what they want to do, born to do. Um, well, Josh, you and you and Dub, Daniel's american bulldog y'all have an interesting relationship and it goes back uh about a month or two ago tell me about that day and and what happened
3: (laughs) yeah we became we became super super close
4: i mean josh Um, sent me all the pictures he'd taken yesterday and it was like five times as many pictures of dub compared to all the other dogs
3: (laughs) (laughs) well you gotta watch old dub he he sees you with the camera and he uh you can ask daniel he He likes to pose for you. Yeah. Turn and turn him. He'll turn about a quarter turn, and he'll turn his head to the side. It's almost like he knows, you know, that he's in the, he's in the shot.
4: He's about to be on Instagram. He knows
3: it. Yeah, I think he knows it. Yeah. Now, uh, well, you know, Daniel wanted to try out um, that new dog Uh um, that he had gotten, and so we had gone to a place I got in Terrell over by you know, by the Bucky's over there on 20, and uh, we uh, we said, ah, we'll, just, we'll just put them out, and, you know, there are some hogs over there. It's not, there's not a whole bunch, not a ton, but, you know, if we get on one, there's some around, we knew they'd find them. So, uh, you know, we, had, we let the dogs out and drove around for, oh, I don't know, we'd been there about an hour or so, and, you know, the dogs had tailed off several times and, you know, worked around and then worked their way back and didn't find nothing. And, well, right before we were – Right before we were fixing to leave, you know, well, Kane had split off by himself, and, which is the dog that we had brought to, you know, try out a little more. and
4: mm-hmm. uh, The one that he, couldn't make it as a pet, but uh, is doing yeah, quite well as yeah. a hog dog, yeah. Yeah, so,
3: and he uh, he actually uh, he actually got baited up by, you know, had a, a pretty big hog. I don't know, Daniel, what did you say, about 225 uh, or yeah, so? I mean, he
2: pushed 225. He was a big, solid pig.
3: Yeah, big you know, big head, big old head on him, big shoulders, and you know, lone boar by himself. And Kane had got him pinned up by himself, and then you know, here comes you know Daisy, uh, you know, to join in, and they got him pinned up, and then we got there and um, let Dove loose, and of course, you know, he uh, this some tall, you know, looks like Johnson grass and weeds in there. It's probably four foot tall, you know, you can't you can't even hardly see in there. Dry creek bed running through there. Well we let dub go and you can hear him when that, when dub gets there, you know, it's a, and it part in the grass, part in those weeds. It looks like that movie, the tremors, mm. you know, when <laughs> it's part in the grass, you can see him when he gets there, you can hear that hog, his tone totally changes. And, uh, you can hear when they started to fight and it wasn't very long before, you know, we heard a, a pretty loud thud. And, uh, I think the hog had gotten loose for a second and, Dub had got back on him. um Anyway, Daniel got in there and got him by the back legs and got him hemmed up. And you know, so I grabbed the knife and was headed down in there. And I, I stabbed him two times, pretty good, right? You know, right behind the shoulder, behind the leg. You know, up into the lungs, trying to, trying to hit that hard in there. And well, I pulled, I pulled back. And I mean, blood's pouring out. So we thought, you know, usually, you know, no problem. I mean, give it, yeah. it gives a few seconds, then he's gonna lose. You know lose consciousness and you know fall down and boy he didn't he just was he was more pissed than ever (laughs) and uh he turned and kind of got loose and you know it was it was muddy and wet that day so it was hard for us to hold on to him you know anyway and so he had turned and started to get loose and daniel said hey you know i'm i'm losing my grip and so i stepped up out of the creek bed at that point well uh he had slipped out of Daniel's hands and turned and he turned right towards me. And we almost, we pretty much locked eyes. Like he looked, I looked at him and he looked right at me and I was like, don't do it. I was like, please don't come right up here. He could have gone any direction in the world. And he ran right up that Creek bed and came right. I mean, dead smack at me. And of course you think that you would say, well, why didn't you just turn and run? Or why didn't you just, you know, Whatever. Well, there wasn't any trees around, nowhere to hop up in a tree and, you know, try to save yourself. And so all I had was that knife still in my hand and and it just all happens in slow motion. You think you can just dodge and weave like you're bullfighting, but that's (laughs) not really the way it works, especially when you're, especially when you're in that tall, thick, you know, tall, thick stuff. So he came and Dub had got back on him right before he got to me on his ear and slowed him down, but he was still pulling Dub and at a pretty quick pace. Well, I, all I could do was stick that knife in his face and try to push his face away from, you know, he was coming right towards my, you know, about thigh high, mm-hmm. was coming right towards me. And I, I tried to push him away. And about that time, uh, Dub had let go to get a better grip, you know, and it just happened to be when he was pulling. Well, that hog had knocked me, hit me right in the mid thigh and knocked me down. And at that point, I fell on my butt, and me and that hog are sitting face-to-face. Face. I mean, we are looking right at each other. And I thought, well, I go, this is it. This may be it for me.
4: <laughs> we And we uh, have had people over the years. It doesn't happen that often, but – People do get cut up bad and, and end up going to the emergency room and getting, you know, I mean, one lady had a boar, a huge boar run right between her legs and cut the insides of both of her thighs. Had another guy who literally was chasing a, or trying to track a wounded pig for a client and he just got messed up, you know, pretty bad, had over 100 stitches. So this is serious oh, stuff.
3: People don't know how sharp those cutters are. I mean, they're, they're razor sharp and they will, I mean, they don't take just a, a little bit to get you. And I thought, and me being on the ground, on my butt, facing him, I thought, well, man, I mean, my chest is right here. My throat, my face is right here. I thought this could be really bad, really quick. And right about that time it took, you know, old Dub saved my life. I call him, you know, he Mm. obviously didn't really save my life, but, you know, saved me a trip to the emergency room probably. But old Dub came in and grabbed him and got a big old bite of neck and ear. And pulled him right about the time he got. I mean, he couldn't have been more than four or five inches from my chest at that point. And Dub turned him and yanked him to the right and pulled him away. And about the time he got clear, I mean, his face cleared me. I started to get up or I started trying to get up. Well, Daniel came in from the back and uh, gave the gave the hog a drop kick on the ass end and went ahead and spun him <laughs> spun him spun him on around about a 180. Dub got him dub got him slowed down again and got him pulled to the ground and we were able to stab him another time you know on the other side this time and it finally that was all that was all she wrote for for that big old big old board but man it was it was close for
4: yeah for a minute good, there.
3: real close and real scary
4: daniel have you ever been right. on a on a hunt like that where you were thinking oh no this is like from from the human getting potentially be, you know cut up and everything
2: I have. I've had a pig do the same thing. Dove was on his ear, and this pig was just way bigger than Dove is. Once once it sees you, they're going to come after you. Yeah. And I fell down three times, and one time it was so close that I was kicking him with my foot, and he grabbed my boot and shook my boot, so I ended up getting away, though.
4: (laughs) But generally speaking, okay, I mean, these are extreme circumstances. This doesn't happen very often. Uh, If you do it enough, though, it's like anything else. things are going to get Western once in a while. But generally speaking, you know, once the catch dogs are in there um, and there's multiple people, it's a, it's a quick dispatch of the hog. You know, I don't want to make it sound like all these hogs are having to get stuck three times. It's usually, and, and we, like I said, we killed nine hogs yesterday, lots of bacon. Mm-hmm. And every one of them was a, a quick and clean, ethical, you know, one poke. and
3: Oh, and, for sure. These are, these are, super rare cases. You know, Daniel's probably only had that a couple times in his whole, you know, he's been doing it his whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he goes probably multiple times a week. So you, you know, do the math on that. The chances are not very, you know, you're talking about in the 1% range. Yeah. That happens.
4: I guess what is less random though, is the fact that sometimes these dogs do get killed, Daniel, and and people don't like to talk about that, but that's the reality. Uh, You've lost some good dogs over the years, I'm sure.
2: Yes, I have. And it's, it's hard to see, but it's just kind of part of the game.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it is the really the only unfortunate thing, and and usually it's the the catch dogs, and I don't know what the life inspe- life expectancy is on those, but you've had dub for quite a while.
2: Yeah, I've had them for around four years, going on four to five years now.
4: Uh huh. <laughs> what is it? I mean, what is it? Usually, the big pigs that that end up killing them. If they're going to uh, get...
2: No, it ain't necessarily got to be big. It's just, some things like the one we caught yesterday, board, you know, he had the little, little cutters on them, but they're just poking straight up and they're sharp. I mean, those there are just as bad as that big one we caught.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We forgot to talk about the shape that the Dub was in after that. Oh, uh, yeah. And Daniel, I'm going to let you talk about that. So once that whole thing... We got to go back, I mean, because this is important. Um, yeah. Once that whole thing plays out and the hog is dispatched, do uh, you notice that Dub's not in the best condition?
2: Yeah, I was sitting there, and uh, we was all kind of catching a, uh, a breather, catching a break. But I could see that Dub, he just wasn't breathing right. Something wasn't going right with him. Like he wasn't walking. I mean, he was upstanding, but he, I don't know, he just didn't seem all him. He was kind of out of it. And I uh, got him some water and looked him over. He had a little bit, little little puncture right down the side of his ribs. And that kind of concerned me a lot.
4: And did that go through the cut vest or around uh, it? or?
2: No, that is right where the, the vest ended. Okay. Right behind it. Mm-hmm. And because I uh, functioned that day, I was running one of my other vests. More, it was more of a summer vest, I guess you can call it. Not as, as thick as the other ones, but I mean, still it was good protective just no, it's heavy-duty, I guess mm-hmm. you can say. And, uh, yeah, it hit him right behind the uh, vest is where that little puncture was.
4: And then, and so that's what you saw visually, but that wasn't the worst?
2: Now I still looking at him. I still ain't right? And I told Josh, you know, I need to make a phone call and see you know, what we can do. And so I called the, the vet there and found the doctor. And I told him about it. He's like, yeah, come bring him on up here. I like, all right. So I took him up there because... I mean, he did his job. He caught this big pig for us, you know. say, Josh. You know, you gotta got take care of the dogs. Yeah. So I took him up there. and I dropped him off, and uh, told, you know, talked to the vet and he, he looked at him and stuff. He's like, "Yeah, I feel a little hole right there. Might be might be in the lungs right there. Cause I'm gonna open them up and look at them and see what's going on, and I'll let you know." So, okay, no problem. I end up, you know, going to do something else. I went hunting again that night. But he called me that night. And uh, he told me, he said, man, you wouldn't believe this. So I got him on the table, started operating on him, and things just went south. He said, he opened him up, and he said he saw it was punctured a little bit, like his lungs punctured a little bit between his ribs. But he said he fixed that. There wasn't no problem or anything. And I kind of got him back together. And then he's like, something still ain't right. So what he had to do was he cut him open down the belly and had to pull all the intestines' this insides out. And, like he said, you could see his heart and everything. And uh, he said, what happened was that pig either crushed him or hit him so hard or landed on him when they rolled off, maybe. maybe that thud was. And
4: when they rolled, rolled off the, into the dry creek bed. Yes, right. Yeah.
2: And it uh, could have crushed him. And uh, what happened was what the doctor said that his insides, I don't know if it was his lungs, guts, something, pushed up inside of his heart cavity. Oh, wow. Which I'm not very, I don't really understand all of that, but that sounds pretty serious. So what he said was, you know, he, he fixed it, stitched it all up. And he said he died there on the table while they were operating. And uh, they had to revive him, mm-hmm. and, uh, give him. And they brought him back, they revived him. And uh, got him back together, sewed him mm-hmm. up. Mama how many stitches together. He had a bunch. And uh, got him put together, and he called me and told me, told me all this. And he said, I want to bet $10 he'll be alive in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, he had to say it, but that's what that's what he told me. You know, so my mind, I'm like, oh, you know, it kind of hurts, you know. It's, I really liked him. And, uh, well, the next morning, I went straight up there to see him. And uh, he said, and he won't believe this. He's up, eating, went and used the restroom. He's totally fine. And the doctor said that it's just amazing how tough these dogs are, what they got you know, their passion in them. They're to do, this, how much he wants to stay alive, <laughs> that he's doing it. That the dog, you know, he, he takes part of him to make sure he's eating and, you know, doing things is messing and pooping. I mean, we can do what we can, but the dog's got to eat, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said it was amazing how he recovered and and uh, still alive. And he said I gave him six weeks off, and last week was the first time I took him, and he's doing great.
4: Yeah, I mean, he I saw him catch a pig on his own yesterday.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, he's got it's some pretty... scars on him, though, but he's good. He's ready to go.
4: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. He said he, I wouldn't bet 10 bucks that he'd be alive tomorrow and uh yeah, that's right. he, here he is hunting with us yesterday like what age do you retire these dogs or do they just pretty much hunt until you know they're, they're they die i don't know
2: yeah, well until they give now I've, I've been several months now i had a female blackmouth car and she was getting old and she had her canines but her teeth were about gone she just was she just old you can just you can tell how the way she was running like you know she was hurting you know so, mm-hmm. I hate to see that, so what I did is I retired her. I left her there uh, in her house, in her kennels where she's at, and, you know, I gave her trees, you know, kind of like bring her to the house in the yard, you know, play with her and whatnot, and just let her live her life. And that there, you know, she's retired because she couldn't hang no more.
4: Yeah. But, I mean, sometimes you guys don't even know how, do- how old these dogs are when you get them. Uh, like going back to Jason's catch dog, Hooch, I said, well, how old is he? He said, I don't know. I don't know how old he was when when I saved him after he killed the goats, <laughs> but yeah. we'll just hunt him until he can't until he physically can't do it anymore, and then retire him. Yeah. That's uh, right. Uh, what is the what is the value? Like what is the going rate for a for a good bay dog and a good catch dog these days?
2: I got with a bunch of different opinions, but I know I was sitting there with Wynn and and talking to him about his dogs and some friends that he has that breed dogs for a living and. Train them and got their own breed going. Usually it's blackmouth curs, but they're, they're some of them go around fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred dollars. Hmm. That's a lot for a dog, you know, especially if you don't know if he's gonna get there and might get killed the next day. But yeah. some of them, I bought two hundred like here for a good example. I bought Duff for seventy five dollars when he was young, younger, and he's been the, one of the best dogs I've ever, ever had.
4: So it just kind of varies. Well, he ain't a $75 like dog anymore after that vet trip. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> I know all about that. My first lab, God bless him, he died a couple of years ago. But Maverick um, is responsible partly for how I got into this this line of work and calling hunting a job. But we fell in love with duck hunting together. And he blew out one of his knees. And I was waiting tables, you know, in college to pay for that surgery. It was like $1,500 bucks. And the, and the vet was like, oh, by the way, he'll probably blow out the other one at some point. And then, like, a year and a half later, it's like, boom, 1500 more bucks. But, oh. uh, yeah, he was a very expensive retriever. But <laughs> uh, what are you going to do? And, and, and you know, that's, it's, it's a difference, a di- different mentality. When you have a whole string of dogs that you're, you have a pack, they're not pets. You know, Maverick was a pet. I know you have a dog, uh, Daisy, who probably has a similar injury to what Maverick had. Like, tore, didn't she tear her ACL?
2: Yeah, I believe her ACL is torn, and she hardly ever uses that leg.
4: She hunts on three legs. What do you? I mean, you're not going to pay that money. It's like I said, it's a different thing. Both of them both hunt, but yeah, this dog isn't sleeping in the house. And so, I mean, what? Yeah,
2: it's not like she's in pain or
4: anything. No. Either. No. Yeah, like she doesn't even feel it. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was hunting with us on Wednesday, doing fine. So. Mm-hmm. I found this interesting because I was reading, I'm currently reading Teddy Roosevelt's book. I think it was, he published it in 1908, Outdoor Pastimes of American Hunter. And if you think big boars kill a few dogs here and there, you should hear him recount the number of dogs they run through hunting cougars, grizzly, and wolves with hounds in the early 1900s. I mean, it was like they just discarded these dogs like it was nothing. Like, oh, bring some more dogs, you know, it's just... (laughs) It's a far cry from, even though these dogs you guys have are rough today, it's, it was just kind of a, uh, well, that's just the way it goes back then. He would kill the cougars with a knife, if you can believe that, at the bay. Really? It. Yeah. I don't know about that, <laughs> man.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. And he was a president of the United States when he was doing
4: this. That's the amazing thing. Can you imagine today if, if our president went out and killed a cougar with a knife, what society would say about him? I mean, times have changed. I don't know if it's for the better. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one other question I did have for you, because I think this is an interesting fact. What does it mean when you say that that the, a bay dog is rough?
2: You know, you seen Kane there the other day.
4: Uh-huh.
2: Some, you got your loose bay dogs, you got some rough bay dogs. I like the ones that are loose because they're going to step back and not fight the pig and just bark at it. You know, yeah, they're not going to try to, you know, get there and fight it and get cut up. I know Kane, he'll get a little rough sometimes, and and uh, he gets too close, you know, he'll get cut and get hurt. Mhm. So So that's a rough dog.
4: Rough dogs are are bay dogs that uh, go ahead and try to catch. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm.
4: And it seems like it'd be, like you said, you like the loose ones, because if you've got a rough one, that's probably going to encourage the other ones to exhibit that behavior too. That's right, yeah. So is there a way to break him from that? I mean, it is what it is. You better just get him a... Um,
2: Yeah, it kind of is what it is, but sometimes they'll learn. I got one that he's trying to be a little rough, because You seen another dog get rough, and he got a big old gash across his belly or his back, and ever since then, he's not rough no more.
4: Oh, he learned his lesson. Yeah, he learned his
2: lesson. Some some dogs learn their lessons, some don't.
4: Well, you know, we ended yesterday in in grand fashion. We caught nine hogs. I'd say, you know, at least four of them went over 150. A couple of them went over 200, and and the last one of the day was a— you know, a pretty good sized boar. I think he, we weighed him. He was like 215 pounds, uh, but he had what, almost three inch cutters on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So big pig. And it was, a, you know, it was a great bay and, and the, and the catch dogs got in there and it was the pig that we were looking for. That's for sure. Yeah, he was, I like it when the guys who do it all the time, get excited and are giddy about, you know, the size of one and the cutters. And it's just like, you know, deer hunting or bass fishing. That's what guys like. We like, Big bucks, big bass, big boars. And uh, I really appreciate you letting, letting Henry and I tag along. He, uh, Like I said, he's already jonesing to go back.
2: Yeah, no problem. I want y'all to come back again and go again.
4: We will certainly do it soon. Josh, give us your social media stuff for Rutten and Strutting Outdoors.
3: Yeah, we're on uh, Facebook and Instagram at uh and Strutting Outdoors. It's uh, R-U-T-N. Uh, Strutn Outdoors. Daniel, what is your Instagram?
2: My, I got an Instagram called High, cal- high Caliber Kennels. It has my kennels page and my dogs and the hog hunting that we do. And
4: well, guys, I certainly appreciate it. I look forward to the next adventure and uh, the next bay, because
0: that's what it's all about.
4: That's, that's right. right. All right, take care, fellas. All right, all right man.
2: thank you. Thank you for having us.
0: All right, there they go, my longtime friend. All the way back to junior high josh wiley and a new friend daniel rosinski great having them on the show today to talk all things hog dogging uh, if you haven't done it highly recommend it it's not for everybody like i said uh, if you're a little squeamish eh, maybe you might want to think about that but if a seven-year-old can get into it then i imagine you can as well uh, that segment of the presentation brought to you by stealth cam and their AT&T wireless camera, it's what I've got. It's a great tool to pattern wildlife. Whatever you're pursuing, hogs, deer, you set it up at your feeder. You can put it on a game trail. Lately, uh, I've been using them on my coyote sets. So, you know, you don't want an animal to suffer. So if I catch a coyote, immediately the app on my phone alerts me that uh, I've got one in a set. So a game changer, no doubt about it. And you can find Stealth Cam's entire lineup at StealthCam.com. Unfortunately, just looking at the clock, uh, we got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to both Josh and Daniel as well as our buddy Jeff Jackson for coming on today as well. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying happy social distancing, and you all have a great week in the outdoors. My, oh my,
1: you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.